there's a certain percentage of your audience that's always gonna buy from you. They are raving fans. You could put out the dumbest product at the worst price. Not that you ever would, because you're all in integrity, but I'm just saying, like, this is how true this bell curve is. You could put out the shittiest product at the worst price, and some people are gonna buy it because it's you. And then on the other end of that bell curve, you could put out the best product in the world with the best sales page, and it could be the best bargain in the world, and some people aren't going to buy it because it's you. And what makes you good or not is what you do with those people in between. How many of those leads, how, many, how much of that audience can you effectively capture? What is keeping you from growing your business to the next level? I'm Jess Bergio, one of the hosts here for Fast Foundations, the podcast. Between the three of us, my co-host Jim, RT, and I have grown several businesses scaling beyond seven figures. And you know what? Not a single one of those businesses came with a blueprint. For years, we poured time and resources into our businesses, from salons, tech companies, and product-based businesses, navigating success and failures on our own. For all of us though, it began to change in 2019 when we found a community of like-minded entrepreneurs and industry leaders to mentor us. That community was Fast Foundations. Just like the mastermind, we're bringing on experts and having discussions to give you tips to not only improve the foundational skill sets you need, but to also fast track your growth. We'll dive into the core pillars of what will make your business succeed. Whether you have a brand new idea that you're looking to turn into a business or you're already a successful entrepreneur looking to scale, this community is here to take you to the next level. Let's dive in. Everybody give a round of applause for Chris. Before... Before I give this mic to him and we take it from there, real quick, would you mind just giving us three to five minutes or so story on what it was like to be in that last mastermind room that you were in with Brendan Bouchard? Uh, did you guys see that? Do you follow Chris? Just to be a fly on the wall in that room would be insane. I mean, that's got to be a table worth 10 billion or something crazy, right? So um, I, I think it would it would bring all of us a lot of just like joy and thinking big and looking forward if you could share just a little bit about what that was like before we hop in. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. I love every time I get to see you guys. The last time I got to see you guys was what, Laguna? Laguna, right? Yep. So it's good to see your faces again. Um, we practice what we preach. We're the biggest believers ever of masterminds. I think it's the fastest way to learn and to grow and to get past whatever you have to get past, uh, both personally and from a business perspective. Brendan, uh, we've been doing a lot of things with Brendan lately. He signed Lori to his new podcast network, et cetera, et cetera. And every year he pulls together a group of about 25 to 35 individuals. Now here's how cool this guy is. He pays for the whole thing himself. So on his dime, multiple six figures, it brings everybody in, sets it up at a beautiful place, uh, this one happened to be by his home in Napa. And we go around the table just like this and say, here's what's working for me, and here's where I'm struggling. And then we problem solve as a group the here's where I'm struggling. Now, there was nothing else, no presentation, no speakers, no anything else other than tapping in to the genius of your peers in a round table type of session just like this. That was the most 
transformative, the most valuable use of three days I have ever had in my entire life. And so I commend you guys for doing the exact same thing right now, sitting around a U-shaped table. Matter of fact, it was interesting because my mastermind that I run, the Elite Mastermind, we had gotten away from U-shaped tables, not on purpose. It just happened in one venue, kind of classroom style, and we never went back. And I forgot the power of actually having to look each other in the eye instead of looking at the back of, of heads in front of you in rows. I'd forgotten the power of that. So walking away from this, it was so transformative, even that piece alone, it reminded me that every single mastermind I do from here on out is going to be a U-shaped table. So much power comes from that connection of looking somebody in the eye and seeing their struggle and, and solving whatever it is that you guys need to solve as a group. Now, I've got a really funny story because you said, would you please tell us what it was like? Did anybody have any imposter syndrome when they came into the room for the very first time? Like, be honest. Good, most of you. That means you're in the right room, right? A room that's going to stretch you. Well, Lori and I had the exact same thing. No matter where you go, no matter what you've accomplished, that piece never goes away if you're doing the right thing and always stepping up into new, higher rooms. So what didn't make the imposter syndrome any better, and I have to start by saying this, the, the group couldn't be kinder, couldn't be more welcoming. This was our first one. They've already done this for a few years. So we were like the new kids, right? They couldn't be kinder. They couldn't be more welcoming. They couldn't be sweeter. They couldn't be like better humans on the planet. I want to start by saying that. But nonetheless, first lunchtime comes around, and Lori and I, our inner fat kids, show up. So we rush to the front of the, the lunch line, and we grab our, our meals, and we go, and we sit down at a table. We're the first two to sit down at a table. And there's maybe five or six round tables in the, the lunchroom. And then somebody else sits at a different table, and people congregate around them. And someone else sits at a different table, and people congregate around them. And someone else sits at another table, and people... And Lori looks at me, she goes, are you freaking the fuck out right now, too? <laughs> I go, my inner middle schooler is throwing a goddamn fit right now. And all those old wounds come up. And it's normal. Like, who wouldn't want to go sit around Jay Shetty to find out what he's doing for his book launch? Who wouldn't want to go sit around uh, Jamie Kern Lima to find out, you know, hey, how'd you sell your, your company for $1.2 billion? Who wouldn't want to sit around Mel Robbins and say, hey, wh why is your show the top five in the world right now? And what did you learn when you just went to Apple? And they said, hey, look behind the curtain. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we want. Like, of course, people would rather go sit around those individuals to learn the best, most cutting-edge things that are being done right now. And so that's what these two incredible human beings do, is they do the exact same thing. They bring in people who are hopefully a few steps ahead of what you guys are aiming to be at and ask them, hey, lift the curtain, share what's going on. Tell us not what worked yesterday, that's important, but more importantly, what are you doing for tomorrow? What do you see coming so we can get the jump on it too? And those are the kind of Q&A questions that I would love to have with you guys today. No questions are off limits. You can ask about things that I learned in that room. You can ask about things that we're doing coming up. You can ask about things that people in the Elite Mastermind are doing. You can ask about the companies that we invest in, what they're doing for their marketing right now. Or you can ask about your personal lives. But I wanna make sure that this time spent is the most quality time spent possible so that each of you leave with something that really moved the needle. Now, I need a, 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 to see a, a, a show of hands here. We're going to vote. Would you rather me start on one end of the table and work my way around, so everybody asks a question, 
or would you guys rather just see who has the biggest balls first and raise their hand and then see who's like too scared to ask one? What, so for those that want me to go around the table, let me see. Oh, you all like, oh, you guys like big balls. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So I'm going to sit over this way here. Oh, yeah, finally. Finally, Brendan saw what's going on, bless his heart, and uh, came and sat. And, you know, if Brendan sits, then everybody comes and sits. So, I, yes, yes. It really was. It really was. Yeah. It, it really was uh, an, an inner wounded child moment. All right, who's first? Go for it. Hey, Chris. Hi, buddy. How you doing? Good. Um, so I've heard you talk at previous meetings that we've had that your workday is rather unique in the sense that it's kind of like a, a five-hour sprint of just heads down. And one of the things we talked about in, my, in our last session is with this new venture that I'm in, in a you know, startup company, building out the whole sales and marketing program and such like that. I feel a lot of ball, ball, squirrel going on in my life. Like there's so many things I want to work on at once. And then it's kind of, uh, kind of steamrolls and you know, you got the dogs coming in, you got, no, Lindsay's got a question. My question is this, is how do you true, I mean, you've got a puppy now too. I mean, how do you sit down and just focus for five hours? I mean, how do, how do you structure that and, and how do you mentally maintain it? So the first thing is you've got to get all of your potential obstacles that you know might be trouble. You've got to get them out of the way. So in my example, right now, mom is watching the two dogs because I know I don't have the ability. If I wasn't here, if I'm on Zooms or if I'm on podcast interviews, I don't have the ability to be like, oh, sorry, can you hold that thought? Let me go let bonkers out. Right. That, that doesn't cut it. So thinking of what's going to throw me off and then how do I mitigate that? That's number one. That has to be number one for all of you guys. Because you kind of already know what's going to throw you guys off. You just haven't taken that next step of saying, how do I preemptively mitigate every single one of these things that's going to take me out of my routine? The second piece then is you can't switch back and forth and back and forth from mindset of this to mindset of that. It takes too much bandwidth. So you need to section off your days or section off parts of your days so that your mind is on one section of your business and nothing else. You're not bouncing back and forth. You would be amazed at how much efficiency you lose when you're switching. I'll use myself, for, for example, from doing a quickie podcast to doing a coaching call to jumping on with my app team. That would be a disastrous day right there because I, once you're in the mode, you need to run with that momentum. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I block my days off. For example, Wednesday is almost all Frello. That's my peer-to-peer -peer lending app that I'm building. All the meetings fall on Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mondays are admin days. So I'm not booking any coaching calls, mastermind calls, meetings, none of that on, on Mondays. Instead, that's my day to catch up on emails, uh, make sure I've got everything taken care of, you know, uh, whether it's finances, et cetera, anything admin, so I can get a good start on the week. So you need to take a look at your venture, take a look at everything that you've got going on, and figure out how could you block these off. We've been doing this since like the Romans ruled the world. Back when we were building 
Isagenics, and Lori had her fitness brand, and I had a coaching brand, I realized bouncing back and forth didn't work. So we would say, hey, on Tuesdays and Thursdays is when you can book a call. And I had, I had this fear, like, oh, God, what if they can't book a call during that time? But guess what? If you uphold your boundaries, people choose from what you give them to choose from. And I've seen this example play out time and time again. So you can't let scarcity make you, make you throw yourself and pull yourself out of your routine. Yeah, because I find myself touching a lot of things, finishing very few. And when you, you know, I'm a, I'm a list person. So when I look back at the end of my day at my list and there's all kinds of stuff still on there, I don't feel like I've accomplished a whole lot because of that ball, ball squirrel. And I'm not, you know, I probably need to lock the dogs out of my office. I kind of like having them in there, but then again, they can be a big distraction. I've got, you know, we got the hungry, hungry hippo who wants a treat about every hour. That's Brooklyn. And uh, so, yeah, I think removing the distractions as tough as that might be uh, is probably a big piece of that right there. And then I, I don't like to call it time blocking. I don't know why I hate time blocking. I just call it blocks of time now. That works. <laughs> that works. Guys, one more thing I want to add to this is you've got to know your work style. So my preferred work style is to put my head down and not look up until 5 o'clock. And I can do that. That's just how I'm built. Lori would turn into a pile of rubble if she did that. She knows that she needs to work in mini sprints. She's got two good hours in her and then has to go physically move herself to a different location, take a quick walk, switch workplace locations or something like that. And that's what works best for her. So she's getting two or three couple hour blocks out of each day. I'm getting a five or six hour block straight. I heard somebody say that they want to be held accountable to eating lunch. Was it you, Sarah? That's a real thing, right? Like, I just put my head down, and then at the end of the day, I look up, I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't eat today. I forgot to have lunch. And one thing I could do better would be building in a break or something like that for myself into my calendar so that everything else gets built around it. Because what you guys put in your calendar first will dictate the windows where other things can fall. So if you're not putting the things that are most important in your calendar first, then you're already setting yourself up to fail. There's a reason we have protected time in the morning. That's where we're putting ourselves first. Wake up, mantra, prayer, walk, workout. Now I've got a new thing in my calendar. I don't have my phone up here, but um, if I pulled it up at, from 10.30 to 11 every single day, it says work, work day warm up with like this little trophy emoji on it. That's 30 minutes of putting on a podcast or putting on a book related to the work that I'm about to do that day to get me into the mind frame of being the best version of myself for what I'm going to do that day. That wouldn't happen if it wasn't in my calendar. It does happen because it's in my calendar and everything else gets booked around it. Thank you. That's great, actually. Great first question. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this video. It's RT with Fast Foundations. Head to fastfoundations.com to learn more how you can get in the room and witness these kinds of experiences live. We do two events a year in Scottsdale, two events a year in Denver. Basically once a quarter, we're in the room with people just like you, going deep on topics just like this. If you wanna learn more on how that works and how you can get in the room, again, 
fastfoundations.com. Check it out. So last time we spoke, I was talking, I had this idea because Christina shared it of creating a podcast and you're like, you need to have video with your podcast. So I took that, hit the ground running. I launched podcast. We have video. Everything's great. I have my course. All my clients are happy. Everybody's like succeeding and all the things. Okay. I'm creating consistent content. I'm at a place and I don't know, am I just being impatient I'm just not doing the right thing to move the needle faster when it comes to generating more money. Like, I'm doing the things. I'm in the rooms. You need to work backwards to find out where your plan is breaking down. So start with the big picture. Mm -hmm. I want to make what? $400,000. Okay. Which was like the number that we played around in Laguna. Perfect. I like the dream life. I want to make $400,000, okay? Yeah. You have to first work backwards from there to create a plan of where's that $400,000 going to come from, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you've done, right? Mm -hmm. So can you give me a rough idea? What are your products and how much of of that is going to make up the 400 grand? I can't tell you exactly, but it will be course, like it'll be 20 students in my course, 40 students in my retreat, um, mastermind throughout the year. Um two consulting clients, I have like five speaking engagements. Okay, good. Now, if that adds up to 400 grand, so far we're good, we haven't found any leaks yet, you have to then schedule that out in a launch calendar to find out when are you gonna be building up propaganda and hype for that, and then when are you gonna be enrolling or opening cart so that you can fulfill whatever number of clients it takes per launch. So if you don't have a, a plan, then it's gonna feel very haphazard and and your numbers aren't gonna come true. Then if you've got that in place and the conversions aren't happening, you have to take a look and say, do I not have enough audience to create enough leads or am I not converting the leads at the rate that I need to? So these are three categories that you need to audit and work backwards from conversions. Are you converting a decent percentage of your leads? If the answer is yes, then move to the number of leads. Do I have enough leads so that the math works out that if I'm converting 20% of them, I hit the sales that I want? Yes, move to audience. No, move to, right? If you don't have enough leads, then you gotta say, do I have enough audience to earn me the number of leads to get the conversions that I need to hit the numbers that I need? And most of you in here probably have an audience problem. Most of you, if, if there's one thing that would remedy everything that, that you want to accomplish, it's audience. I've probably said it in, in front of you before. There's a certain percentage of your audience that's always going to buy from you. They are raving fans. You could put out the dumbest product at the worst price. Not that you ever would because you're all in integrity, but I'm just saying, like, this is how true this bell curve is. You could put out the shittiest product at the worst price, and some people are going to buy it because it's you. And then on the other end of that bell curve, you could put out the best product in the world with the best sales page, and it could be the best bargain in the world, and some people aren't going to buy it because it's you. And what makes you good or not is what you do with those people in between. How many of those leads, how how much of that audience can you effectively capture? So if, if this bell curve holds true, then the only thing that you can do logically 
if you're good at capturing the percentage in between, is grow the bell curve. Grow the amount of audience that you have. Think about it. If you've got an audience of 1,000 and 10% are guaranteed to buy from you every time, then you know for a fact that you're going to be able to sell 100 widgets. If you feel stuck and you want to sell 500 widgets, it's time to do one of two things. Figure out how to sell more of the people in between, higher conversions, or figure out how to grow the audience from 1,000 people to 5,000 people, and you'll have your 500 widgets. Okay. So in all of that, where do you think you're breaking down? So the conversion is, or when someone applies to join my course, 99% of them join. That's good. It's so That's good. So good. I've, I never really get pushback. Like everybody's really good. I think it's the, the, the leads, which is my follow-up question, because you talked about um, uh, your launch strategy, and that's the one thing that we were just talking about, what I wanted to focus on for the 90 days, of just figuring out where the hell like my marketing strategies and efforts are going for what products and services throughout the year. I was not getting enough leads for my course, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to do evergreen and have it where anybody can enroll throughout the year to take the pressure off of me. Like I was like just hating the live launching, and it worked in January because I, <laughs> I opened doors in January and everybody signed up to work with me for the year. But now I'm like, I don't, I've never done just like evergreen. So do you have a preference of evergreen or live launching? Is there a reason why you go live launching? Is it just the- Yes, yes, and yes. This is very powerful. It takes a lot, a lot of expertise and dialing in to sell any quantity of anything evergreen. Do you guys know the difference between evergreen and launch, right? Evergreen, at any given time, somebody can trip across your sales page, you're, you're driving leads to it, and they're buying on any random Tuesday of any random week of any random month. That's evergreen. Launch is from this time to this time, carts opening, carts closing, and whatever I sell in there, then that's what I'm going to capture until my next launch. The reason I'm not a fan of evergreen, and I've seen it work great, but the reason I'm not a fan of it is most people don't take the time to dial in that sales page and dial in that customer journey and dial in that lead magnet and then dial in their ads over and over and over and over again until it starts printing money while you sleep. Most of you go as far as setting it up and say, oh, it didn't work, I knew it. Some of you go further. Some of you go back to the drawing board and you, you change your sales page and you change your lead magnet and you say, ah, it's still not working, I knew it. I've got a friend, her name is Ashley Stahl. Anyone know who Ashley Stahl is? Several years back, she was an expert in how to interview and set up your resume better. She built a course for $1,000 on how to do that. She wanted to sell it evergreen, but she knew to perfect the webinar that would convert the leads to hit the sales goals that she wanted. She knew she had to sign up to do that damn webinar as many times as it took, tweaking it each time until it finally hit. So do you know how many times she did that webinar live until it finally hit? 91. 
91 live webinars in a row, recording each one, changing something each time, watching her own webinar each time, tweaking this, tweaking that, 91 times in a row until it finally hit. Now show of hands, and be real with yourself because this could be a breakthrough. Don't put your hand up to impress me, this is about you. How many of you would have done that webinar 91 times in a row, watching it and tweaking it and watching it? Look around. So this doesn't mean you're broken, you're just like everybody else. What it means is you're not outstanding, meaning you are not standing out from anybody else in the room. But she was. She was willing to do the monotony of that boring ass webinar. Nine, you know, you would be like to watch it, your your own webinar ninety one times. <laughs> like like that should be like some, so yeah, some some terrorist torture or something. <laughs> but she did it. So that's what it takes to succeed in Evergreen. If you don't want to have that type of diligence, then launching is gonna be your best bet. And the reason people don't like launching, I'm gonna guess, is because it feels tiresome. I mean, I love it when I have a lot of sales. Yep. I'm like totally fine when that's rolling, but when it sucks, it's like, you only have that, it's just so much pressure, you know? Yep. Like you just get anxiety and there's, you literally have those like 30 day window, yep. and then it feels like it's over. Yep. People give up on launching or they want to go evergreen because it feels like an exhausting sprint. You're lying on the ground afterwards. You've got anxiety the whole time. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But it doesn't mean just because it starts to feel tiring and just because you lost a couple of times, doesn't mean you say, eh, I guess launching's not my thing. Maybe I should try evergreen. But then not do what it takes to be evergreen. Mm -hmm. And this, herein lies the problem. Every single one of you are so damn talented at what you do. You just haven't found that next rare gear that hardly anybody finds. Does that make sense? There's nothing holding you guys back other than sticking with the plan and continuing to craft that plan until it totally hits for you. So that was a long answer to your question that I personally prefer launching even though it's exhausting, even though sometimes you lose, even though it gives you anxiety and the, the preparation leading up to it, and then when there's nobody buying in the, I call it no man's land, right? Everyone buys when you open cart, and everyone buys when you close cart, and there's like nothing trickling in in between. You're like, oh, it's a disaster. I have a, a text thread going right now for somebody in my elite mastermind who is launching right now. And this was her first time spending a significant amount of money on ads. She's always done a natural, more organic launch. And she wanted next level results. So if you want something different, you have to do something different. And she went out and she hired somebody to do her ads for you and the ads drove in three times as many leads as she's ever had before. And coming right out of the gates on the first day, text after text, holy shit, it's working. I've never had so many sales in the first day. I can't believe this. This is the best thing ever. I'm so glad that you talked me into doing this ad spend. Day two, nothing. Day three, hey, I'm starting to worry. Sales have slowed down. Day four, 6 a.m. in the morning. I see the text. I don't know, answer it till 11. But 6 a.m. in the morning, I see the text. I'm panicking over here. I think this was a mistake, blah, 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 blah. It's turned off, something's broken. Today is her 
clothes of cart. You want to know what today's text messages were? Oh my God, it's the greatest thing ever. Sales are pouring in. I, I'm so glad you told me it was going to work. That's a, it's a real mind fuck. Right. And that's why people give up. You got to choose. You want to do the webinar 91 times or you want to ride the roller coaster? Both of them are correct answers, but you got to do one of them and you can't get off. Thank you. That was really helpful. Good question. What's up, Grace? I'm Danny. I'm grateful that you are also open about the fact that you also go into rooms and just feel most of the same feelings we feel, all the same feelings. Um, question around, you and Lori both have very successful podcasts, and you get the chance to be in rooms with a lot of those people also had podcasts. What are some of the things that you guys are seeing now like that are helping people grow their podcasts and stand out now that more people have podcasts? Like, What are the big, like? I know there's not one thing. No, there is. There is the algorithm, both of life, meaning how you train people to behave when you've got a product, and literally for Spotify and iTunes, they want daily content. Lori and I are about to drop something called the Daily Abundance, a two-minute recording. I'll record them when I have time. She'll record them when she has time, but two to three minutes of our day so that we can add in daily content to tilt the algorithm of the tech platforms and the algorithm of the listeners, the human behavior in our favor. And it's very obvious why this works. When I go to listen to a podcast, I go to one of my favorite people, right? I'm like, all right, what does Gary Vee have? What does uh, Rob Deerdeck have? What does, and if there's not something new, I'm like, God damn it. I already listened to that one yesterday. I didn't like the title of that one. And I'm, I'm literally upset that there's nothing from that person for me to listen to. Now, what does Gary do better than anyone else? Every day, there's a new podcast. So every day, I know I can count on him to have something that I want to listen to when I need to get fueled up. If I can't count on you daily, then I'm probably going to, to, to stray from you and go find somebody that I can count on daily. So literally, the, the algorithm on the platforms and the algorithm of the listeners, they demand that you serve them daily if you really want to stand out and you really want to have a show that takes off. Now, good news, this doesn't mean that you have to suddenly be recording seven days a week. Lewis just taught us his podcasting plan right now. And Jim, you know a lot of what he's doing. They've turned... Jay's is, see, Brendan's is a daily fire. Jay's is a daily Jay. What's Lewis's? Daily motivation is what it is. All those da daily motivations, they're clips from his past 2,000-some shows, you know, five, six, seven-minute clips from those shows. He's repurposing content he already had. Now, some of you are like, dude, I'm on episode 10. Not much for me to repurpose. But others of you, you might be at episode 100, and people have already forgotten how good that one mic drop moment is from episode six. Go cut it out. Make that your, your daily whatever. This almost goes back to the webinar thing. And by the way, I'm always talking to myself as I talk to you guys. It's not difficult to stand out. It's difficult to build the machine and hold yourself accountable to getting it started. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you plan to multi-purpose that and put that into like video content? I know last time you said that was like your biggest regret was not having video of all these things. Biggest regret. Um, over half the people in the room for the mastermind that I went to earn multiple seven figures just from YouTube ads. Just There's a button you can turn on. Yes, I want ads on my channel. Seven figures shows up. My biggest regret is that we didn't bother to make that a priority at all. Now, we've got a good reason why. We didn't want a lifestyle where we had to be in a certain studio in a certain city to make sure that we got that. So this was a conscious choice. But nonetheless, it's still a big regret because we could just turn on the ads. I mean, I don't even know that. I think I have a YouTube channel, I think. I don't know that there's anything on it. So it's a big priority for us to finally start making that a priority in a way that fits our schedule. And we're talking basic. Here's my plan, ready? It's a little stand, Lori just bought them, with an extra iPhone facing this way, and then my regular iPhone facing this way, and talking to Zoom so we can get some different angles and do it in different parts of whatever house we happen to be in. At least we have video content that can then be put on YouTube, cut into YouTube shorts, put on Instagram as reels, put on TikTok, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, along with the long form episode that'll land on all the audio platforms. But we, you'll see coming out of us this year, you're already seeing it out of Lori, you're gonna see a recommitment to a lot of content. I haven't wanted to do content the last couple of years. I just wanted to coast. My dad died. I didn't realize how depressed I was. You know, I thought depression was you wake up every single day and you're like sad, like, I'm depressed, right? I understand in some ways it's that way. But for me, I didn't wake up that way. So I thought, well, I'm not depressed. Now I realize that my version of it was not wanting to do anything other than the bare minimum. The bare minimum to keep the show going, the bare minimum to keep my commitments to other people, the bare minimum, bare minimum, bare minimum. Now that it's been a couple of years, I'm like rubber band pulled back, got a million different things I want to do, can't wait to be a content machine again. Um, and it feels really good to be back there because that's who I was prior to June of 2020. So you go through stages. Some stages you're not going to feel like doing what it takes to get content. Other times you are. Appreciate it. Did I answer your podcast question? Yeah. Good. Hi, I'm Christina. Uh, I am grateful. I'm actually grateful for your Dan Martell episode yesterday. Isn't he awesome? I listened to it and I like cried on the plane, like just because how emotional he was. Um, so yeah, it's a great episode. So people should listen to it. Um, I have kind of a two-parter, so I'm gonna just I'm just gonna go for it. But um, the first piece is kind of you're talking about getting in in the right rooms and getting around people. Um, how do you find? the right rooms to be in. And I, I think like, this is an amazing room, like, and I'm so grateful to be here and I've gotten so much from the rounds we've done, but curious about like what the next year or five look like and um, finding the, those spaces. And then I'll tell you my part two after you answer yeah. that. This is such a great question. You have to proactively search for them. Mm. Ask people, hey, have you ever been in a mastermind that you love? Hey, have you ever been to an event that you love? You need to Google for them. You need to literally wake up and say, if the next year I want to be in some new rooms to get new ideas, I need to be my own advocate and ask every single entrepreneur, self-development, whatever person I know, what they've gone to that they like, and then go dip your toes in it. Mm -hmm. um, 
A second part of that answer could also be build the room that you wish existed. Now, this is sometimes tough because a lot of the times your goal is to get into a room that really stretches you. But sometimes it's good to be in a room that just supports you. That could be a small quarterly meeting where you and, and nine other people you've chosen all throw a little bit of money into a pot and go meet up in a destination. Mm -hmm. And I think your best case scenario would be a little bit of both. I think it'd be getting into some kind of mastermind or series of events that scares the shit out of you and causes you to up level and simultaneously is a small pocket of people you know that you can count on and be vulnerable with and have a scheduled check-in to keep each other going for accountability. Love that. We were joking this morning about having a Canadian version of Fast Foundations called Slow Foundations. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, stay tuned. Jim wanted to put like a bunch of Canadian like stereotypes in it, like, yeah, hockey and Tim Hortons and stuff. Um, and then when you're in those rooms, so I, I feel really blessed like in our business, like being in rooms like this and other rooms we're in, like we do typically get a lot of business from them. So we typically have like, there's lots of people in this room, thank you, um, who pay us, which I'm grateful for. Um, how do you balance the like friendship, building these like amazing, strong, like relationships and partnerships with people while also doing business when stuff can get messy or, um, you know, we are exchanging money and things like that. Marina sent me an email with a bo with bolded words. I was upset. <laughs> We don't have the bold feature in Canada. That's what we said, so yeah. <laughs> this is a great question, you guys. There's some people that have straight up told me that they joined my mastermind because they know they'll get sales in it. And I applaud them. As long as they have a great service that I approve of, I applaud, what a great, brilliant lead strategy when you're an agency. And it works. Another reason for you to invest in, to be in a lot of rooms is you just walk around collecting clients. But the answer to your question is contracts keep friends. Mm. This is very important for all of you to realize. Contracts keep friends. If you don't have it in a written contract, then it's up for interpretation. It's up for misunderstanding. It's up for contention. But when it is a clearly written contract, here's what I'm doing, here's, what I, here's what's happening if we've got a dispute, and here's what it cost, then there won't be any blurred lines between friends mm -hmm. and clients. And here's the best part, you can be both. Yeah. So the that. friend side of you supports them and kicks them back in the game when they're having you know, doubts about their business. The friend side of you says, hey, how's it going at home? The friend side of you says, let's go take a hike and do some brainstorming together. The friend side of you refers them a client. Mm -hmm. The business side of you says, oh, you, you want me to post for you? That's $10, motherfucker. <laughs> okay, I love that. <laughs> I'm coming for you people. Okay, <laughs> Kelly over here. I have like 300 questions I want to ask you, so I'm not going to ask you anything pertinent to our business. Um, I'm also obviously like everyone here fascinated about your, your journey and things like that. Uh, we can see all the history and follow you on the podcast. But what I'm interested to ask you is kind of going back to what we just did, because I'm pretty interested in, you know, what are you worried about right now over the next 90 days? And what are you looking forward to? Define what am I worried about? You mean like, am I worried about the economy? Am I worried about Russia? Or do you mean like, what I mean, am I worried about in terms of my goals? I, whatever affects that. I mean, uh, maybe in some businesses like Russia doesn't affect that, but Russia's kicking my butt right now on 
energy prices and energy, you know, in, in Europe and it's making all my costs go up. So I mean, however you interpret it. I'm worried that I don't have enough capital to take care, uh, to take advantage of all of the opportunities that are in front of us right now and that are gonna be in front of us coming up. I love transitional economies because when people panic, opportunity is created. One of the most simplest versions of opportunity is solving whatever they are afraid of, solving whatever their, their problem is. People are always like, ooh, I want a thriving economy, that's what I'm gonna do well. Actually, no. In a thriving economy, everybody is doing so well that there's tons of competition and it's hard to stand out and why would they choose you over choosing him, right? But in tough economies, when everybody kind of hides back in the dark a little bit and they pull back on their advertising and they pull back on their budgets, that's when it's easy for you to lean into it and to stand out way more. Advertising becomes cheaper, so put more money in it, not less. The ability to stand out and be seen becomes easier if you're a bright light when everything else is dark. And at the end of the day, there are so many opportunities created that will require capital and or bandwidth. You need to make sure that you're in position to be able to take advantage of those opportunities that only come along every 10, 12 years, right? You might get five or six of them max in your life, lifetime. Like so right now, mm -hmm. tech is so on sale. Unless you believe that Tesla and Facebook and Amazon is going away, you should be pouring as much money as, you should be doing extra launches to get extra money to pour into those companies. This is not investment advice, by the way. This is just what I'm doing. <laughs> but you should be. Because you're not gonna get an opportunity like this maybe ever again, because every recession is different. But these are blue chip companies that the minute it bounces back, and I think it's already bouncing back, Wall Street always bounces back six months before Main Street, minimum, right? Six to nine months. You're gonna be so pissed that you could have bought Tesla at $169 right now, and it's gonna be a thousand bucks before you know it. So there's just opportunity abound everywhere, whether it's opportunity to get a client that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise, opportunity to get more audience and leads that you wouldn't have been able to get otherwise, or literal opportunity of things in the world that's on sale. So back to what you're worried about, like not having enough capital, how, yep. are, you, how are you approaching that? Like, I mean, that's, that's something similar I'm sure most of us are coming up against. My wife came to me after leaving um, that mastermind. And she said, hey, I'm not gonna take that million dollar book deal this year. I got clarity in here that I don't wanna split my bandwidth. I just need to finish getting my business launched and, and not chase two chickens. It was a very aligned decision on her part. I applaud the decision, it's the right decision. But nonetheless, it's one of yet another opportunities to grab extra capital that we're not grabbing. I'm trying to think of what can we leverage, like our audience, what can we build? What can we do 
to create as much capital as possible without giving up almost any of our bandwidth at all so that we don't get split away from our main missions. My main mission, launch a peer-to-peer -peer lending app. Her main mission, launch her company. We've got some ideas that we're kicking around. That's, you can tell I'm thinking out loud right now. That's the answer, is when you ask a better question, you get a better answer. Our question right now is, how do we leverage everything that we've built in the past to increase capital so that we don't have to give up bandwidth for capital? Make sense? Good question. Let me go. Keith. I'm, I'm Keith, and uh, excited to be here. Grateful for your podcast and everything that I've listened to for the last three years, it's gotten to me, had a huge impact. One of the things that I did early on was I listened to you or went and you know, bought your um, uh, money mindset. Money principles. Yes. So I did that probably three years ago, and that was hugely helpful for me. Um, I'm now three years into it, and I'm in a different financial level than I was then. Yeah. And I'm realizing I have a new set of money mindset stuff to break through. And so I'm just curious, you know, you know, you went through this over the last however, you know, eight years or whatever it's been. Um, any specific advice that when you kind of get to the, without being too blunt, um, a multiple six figures, um, and and you know, and go, going through the mindset of okay, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. I don't want to spend money. I'm I'm still behaving the same way I was. And my, both my wife and I are kind of processing this in different ways. And it's a really cool place to be, but it's also, um, it's just, yeah, new things to try to figure out. A lot of the challenges that we as entrepreneurs face when it comes to limiting money mindsets, one of the most common ones is, I'm afraid to spend that dollar that might make me two. So what if it doesn't work? Right. And that comes from the place of thinking you're never going to replace that dollar again. And the truth is, if you look back at your history, you've always found a way to replace that dollar. So it's a completely and utterly illegitimate fear, yet it's a very common one that everybody shares. And when you take that and expand it out, it just, you're talking about as you go up through the ranks, it becomes, oh, I'm afraid to spend the hundred grand, that may or may not get me the two. I'm afraid to spend the million, that may or may not get me the two. And so on and so on. That piece doesn't change, it's just different levels. So what you have to do is you have to go and seek evidence showing that it works. Not just evidence showing that you've always done one of two things, either gotten the return or found a way to replace that money after you did not get the return. But equal or more importantly, go find evidence of other people that did, how they did it, and why it worked. I left this mastermind a couple weekends ago. Completely and utterly reset once again on just how much money people are making doing things that are not spectacular, but they're doing them in spectacular ways. That is evidence. That is proof. That was a reminder. And it lit both of us just on fire, on fire. We're just back to what I was telling you. We're in this ideation phase right now. I can't name names, but one person gets $500,000 per speech two times a month. That made me say, oh, 
got to get speaking fees up. Somebody else in there is a billionaire from selling a stake in a company that they had that says, oh, got to invest in even more startups. Somebody else in there is printing a million dollars a month on YouTube ads. Oh, better start doing videos. It was the evidence and the proof that I needed to get my tail in gear and ask better questions and go build something better. The answer would be the same for you. You're already doing it in here right now. And if this isn't giving you the answers that you need, then you need to seek additional rooms to get additional answers. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Fast Foundations podcast. Check out our other YouTube videos. Make sure you subscribe here on YouTube or subscribe wherever you're listening. Check out the other videos because we give away all of this information, all of this great knowledge for free all the time here on the Fast Foundations podcast. And I want you to have access to that. And if you want to get in the room and experience some of this for yourself, best way to do that is go to fastfoundations.com. Apply for our mastermind. We do these events just like you just witnessed way deeper. We go way bigger on all these events. That's just one-tenth of what it was like to be there. Again, fastfoundations.com to join the mastermind or at least send in your application. Talk to you soon.